Hello, and uh, welcome to the podcast, Kelly. If you wouldn't mind just uh, giving a little bit of background on yourself for the listeners before we get started here so they can get to know a little bit about you, uh, that would be great. Sure, Ben. Thanks for having me. This is um, awesome to finally connect this way. My name is Kelly Whalen-Ends. I am the uh, founder and head coach for Legendary Living Arts. I have background in religious studies and psychology. I have 38 years training in the martial arts, where I started off with uh, Western boxing and judo when I was a kid. And I progressed to the point where I have spent the last 20 years focusing on the Chinese internal martial arts, as they are called, both including Qigong and arts like Taijiqin and Baguazhang, or eight trigrams palm. And I teach classes online now with, you know, the COVID situation. I have spent the last 25 years teaching classes and recently did my personal training certification. And I'm currently about to do my final certification through the National, um, the NCSF, National Council on Strength and Fitness through the U.S. Right on. Well, for, for people who don't know also, the way Kelly and I met is uh, I was referred to him uh, through Neil Ripsky, one of our other guests on the podcast, when I was working a, uh, on my anti-trafficking program down in Ecuador. Uh, specifically, he, he recommended Kelly to me uh, so I could learn the therapeutic applications of Bagua circle walking for processing post-traumatic stress. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today on the podcast. I'm super excited to have you here. Right on. Thanks so much. My pleasure, Ben. All right. So, so talk a little bit because you're, you're much better at, at, at uh, articulating this than me. Just, just for the listeners, explain the medical and physiological benefits of circle walking and what circle walking is. Sure. So circle walking is quite literally what it sounds like. When I learned Bagua, when I started learning Bagua, I guess it's a little over 20 years ago now, the practice that I took up was basically teaching myself how to walk a circle with my feet flat on the floor not lifting my heels, one foot inside a hula hoop and one foot outside of a hula hoop. Now you can take a piece of chalk if you're outside where it's warm and draw a circle on the ground, or you can set up, you know, any any type of structure or ideally even having a tree to actually walk around as your point of reference. Circle walking is a very, very unique methodology to the art of Bhagavad and the practice involves not taking big steps, but taking comfortable, relaxed steps so that your feet can stay flat on the ground so that you learn how to anchor your skeletal structure and also engage and condition your entire fascia structure or your deep tissue structure inside the body and all of the tendon anchors and major tendons in the body to refine the movement of blood and the movement of lymphatic fluid through all of the glands to rewire and recondition your entire body 
and the organs inside your body, all of your glands, endocrine system specifically, and the vagus nerve specifically. And the vagus nerve runs top to bottom in the body. It's like the super highway for the nervous system in the entire body. Um, that's a basic, basic uh, description of circle walking. You in Bagua, you learn how to walk straight lines first traditionally, which is sort of how I started. Although my teacher just sort of liked to drop us in and see if we, you know, could swim or, or you know, sink more, play with the sharks. <laughs> and um, you learn Bagua circle walking, holding the upper body in very specific postures to train and condition all the stabilizer muscles to develop core strength that is very unique in an unorthodox training and conditioning way because you your legs are going one way and your upper body is turned and you're holding a, a posture with your arms out, either uh, turn where the forearms are spiraled so that you're engaging all of the arteries in the hands and near the elbow and using the joints to engage the fascia and the tendons to pull blood up to your hands, which actually helps refine and strengthen your heart and your entire vascular system, and also works at dissolving built-up tension in the body by doing this type of conditioning. And the dissolving of tension happens from conditioning the fascia and the tissues, and developing structural connection in the body as in moving through your bones instead of uh, gross motor muscle locomotion. The evolution in Bagua from, and Bagua is one of those arts where in, in it's, it's, a, uh, it's got the four pillars, the longevity, the martial arts, the healing and the spiritual aspects or the awareness aspects. I like to refer to more as the awareness and the consciousness aspects. Hmm. A lot of people, oh, you know, you start talking spiritual and they get all, you know, right, metaphysical right. and esoteric, and it's just like, no, no, just like, like hold on, chill, like relax. <laughs> you know, it's just like there, it, there's some very simple ways that you learn how to listen to your body that develop profound, profound healing tools and keys for one's own personal journey that have to be experienced to, you know, properly be understood. And I'll do my best to, to talk about those when we get there. The, the medical um, aspects, the benefits, the health benefits of circle walking constantly blow my mind, constantly just geek me out. I grew up with asthma that almost killed me as a kid which is how I, you know, got inspired to start along my, my journey of self-discovery and got me into Qigong and meditation and the Chinese healing arts. And um, part of my perspective on this is also, uh, Ben, I don't know whether or not I've actually mentioned this, but I've spent the last 20-some years studying Grandmaster Peng Julin's medical Qigong system. And this is a very unique old system from the Shaolin Temple, from inside the temple before it was destroyed in southern China. And this is actually about understanding how to open up the meridians and how to emit energy, or qi, as people like to call it, 
And it was sort of, like, again, one of those things, like with Bagua, once I actually started experiencing it, it was going, oh, this is actually a real thing and not a mystical thing. This is about sensitivity. The, the medical Qigong that I practice, a lot of people often get, oh, this isn't real and stuff like that. And it's like, well, if you spent any amount of time sensitizing or training your body and your nervous system, say if you're a musician and you practice your scales, your pentonic scales, you learn how to have an ear for the pentonic scales and be able to hear the structure of the pentonic scales. Same thing with 12-bar blues. So with Bagua, the health benefits are about learning how to listen and relax into your skeletal structure while you move. Instead of using your gross motor muscles as the origin of movement, with Bagua circle walking, even walking in a straight line with uh, the mud stepping method, uh, Tangni Bu, where you have the feet flat and the knees are bent and the pelvis is tucked in and the spine is stacked on the pelvis and you're walking, even just sliding the feet across the floor. What you're doing just with that simple starting methodology, the engagement of the legs and the pelvis, open up the pelvis and open up the abdomen by engaging the tendons and the Achilles and then the calves and all the stabilizer muscles in the lower legs cause the legs to become fluid pumps. And by engaging and training the body to use your lower leg, like your, your lower legs and your upper legs in this fashion, it changes the way that blood is moved in your body and that in the way that lymphatic fluid is also moved in your body. So when you when you showed me how to do this, you you were kind enough to put together like a thirty minute video, ex exactly, like kind of breaking all these details down yep. so that I could practice it and put it in use with the uh, the victims of trafficking mm -hmm. down there in Ecuador. Mm -hmm. uh, what I noticed when I when I practiced it uh, is it's much more posterior chain centric. Right. Like like when we as when, when we as Westerners walk, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. almost like we're we're falling into our exactly. feet, right? Like we fall and we catch ourselves with our feet. Yep. yep. Whereas this really kind of engages your hamstrings and glutes and your calves, your whole posterior chain in a, in a totally different way. Yes. Now, I also want to take a second to say before all the, the hardened self-defense instructors that may or may not be listening to this podcast, get your, your self-defense panties in a wad, uh, get on YouTube and, and check out Kelly. He's not some little skinny vegetarian socks and sandals Bagua practitioner. He does kettlebells and, and, and mace bells and all sorts of other stuff. He looks like a, like he belongs to some kind of Bagua biker gang. So, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm stealing that, man. I'm stealing that. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, yeah, that's, thanks, thanks, Ben. Actually, you're, you're raising a really good point. Um, I, I, I did 12 years, almost 15 years of Kempo Karate, uh, full contact, sparring with minimal protection, uh, sometimes, you know, no protection on concrete floors. And, um, yeah, I do not ascribe to Bagua or Tai Chi um, being soft arts. 
And I was lucky enough to train with someone when I was learning Jong style, when I was first learning Bagua, who liked to fight and who was really good at it. And the thing that people do not understand and the lie that, as far as I'm concerned, the lie that has been sold to the West is that you have to be ultra soft and ultra gentle. It, doing Bagua or Tai Chi is complete BS. I am an ex-powerlifter. An ex, I was a bodybuilder in high school. And when I, I, and I've learned traditional Chen style, Tai Chi Chin, uh, power training. And it's basically doing Tai Chi movements with weights. Like take 30 pounds and do circles left and right, front and back. Or what they call halos in, uh, in, with kettlebells. It's, those are, that straight movement is uh, from, uh, for me, I know it has removed helmet from head. So there's, a me, you know, one of the things that I really relished getting into my Bagua practice is the fact that my Bagua teacher worked out, lifted weights, and was an absolute beast. And just slightly terrifying in how, how he was able to use even the smallest movement to put me on my ass. And having come from a full contact karate, Kempo karate background, and not being able to touch my teacher, even, even when the couple times I went all out, um, it was even worse than me just, you know, it was even worse. It was just, you know. <laughs> it just, it gets, just worse. gets worse man i was just you know i only i only tried it twice and and mark would you know i would kind of black out for a second and not exactly know what happened because there was so much that happened in such a small amount of time when mark took me out <laughs> and put me on the ground and then i wake up or come come to and i'd be looking at the ground and mark would be like looking over me and going that was pretty good but you're still on the ground <laughs> Just like, yeah, yeah, and and I mean, if you if you're a student of history, if you read up on Gal, yeah, and his training method, like he was famous, he was famous for throwing weights around yep. and all sorts of 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 hardening exercises, yep. and, and it, it's anything but soft. If you read up on the way the exactly, guy trains, exactly, and having having spent uh, the last ten years learning Magui Bagua and Magui. Uh, the founder of the system was famous for wearing weighted vests. He was famous for wearing uh, weights on his ankles and walking the circle with weights on his ankles and wrists and literally piling the weight on him. And he was a small guy too, right? And he was a brutal fighter. He was renowned as a brutal fighter. Uh, you have, like, if you look into the history of Bagua, the old masters, the legends, Yin Fu... Uh, Chen Tinghua, they were all fighters. And Yin Fu died in the Boxer Rebellion, uh, killing, I don't know, upwards of 50 German soldiers. He went into the German barracks in in, in Be or Peking and with his deer horn knives and killed upwards of 50 soldiers by himself before they shot him. And and also, you guys use a ginormic sword. What is that sword uh, called? It's called the big knife. <laughs> it's the big knife, you know. You know, every once in a while, you need to cut a steak with a big knife. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, the Bagua Dao is a very unique training tool, but it's also an old infantry weapon. Now, you know, and if you, if you know anything about military history, you, you understand that armies supplied themselves with what they had at hand. And if you were in a region that had a lot of wood, you often had an army that was outfitted with really long spears. And weapons that had, you know, where you could use lots of arrows and stuff like that. If you were in a region that had lots of minerals, you ended up having an army that was outfitted more for medium to close range combat with steel or iron blades and, and weapons and stuff like that. You right. Know, and one of the things, like even even the the yeah, so the, the Dao is is basically an old infantry weapon, from what I understand, that was used against cavalry. And one of the ways... Well, it's like the Scottish yeah, Claymore, yeah, right? Exactly, it, exactly. It, they use it to cut the legs off the yep. horses. That was the whole purpose of the yep, sword, exactly, right? Exactly, yep. Yeah, the, the parallels, um, and what's, what's there's a German sword that's one-sided uh Vossenberger? i don't i'm trying to remember uh yeah the scottish claymore is a perfect parallel and that was the whole idea having the reach where you know you didn't necessarily have you know access to the kind of wood for long spears but you had lots of iron lying around what do you do huh. make big long swords that are, you can use as like small spears Right, right, and and so you see this thing. We'll try to get for the for the cover photo for the for the podcast a picture of Kelly circle walking with this big sword. So because some of the posturing and stuff is confusing when we're just doing an audio only podcast, yes. or you can look some of his videos and see what it what he's talking about. But you're in this twisted position mm. as you walk a circle. With like a giant seven foot sword over your yeah, head. Yeah, I, I think I think it, yeah, it looks like it's about seven feet long. I have seen the Dao that are that big, uh, and it's only practice. It only weighs about eight pounds. But it's a it's a lot like I mean, if you're using it just as a training, oh implement, yeah, right, like it's oh, a yeah. lot, a lot like Indian clubs. Yes. You know, swinging yes. big heavy implement makes you strong. Yes, this is why I, I fell in love with maces and <laughs> in, in Indian gadas because it, the whole body power required to use a bagua dadao is ridiculous. Not just right, lift right. it and hold it up there. And that's the whole point. It's like you circle walk. I'm in uh, a lion's pose in that picture. And the whole idea is to have, you have to have, your shoulder blades anchored to your rib cage and your arm structure aligned in such a way that the weight of the sword and it's extended out there is balanced in your hand, but also sitting on the bones of your arm so that you can hold it up with your shoulder blade. Right. And then when you right. move, you cannot just like hack and slash the way you would with like a kitchen knife. You have to move with your whole body to leverage the weight to make it move so that you don't like just drop it and chop it and then have to rechamber. You can move the sword and just keep going. Right. And, and so I'm just kind of making sure that we highlight all this stuff just to shut up all the people that are like, oh, Bagua is for sissies, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> okay. 
Sure. Well, they they, they so can like, go to, they like, can go to my Instagram and see me break a coconut <laughs> or two with my bare hands. And, and now that we've now that we've put all yeah. that to bed, um, so you you helped me kind of design a program that was just uh, circle walking based for post traumatic stress regression. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and, and since then, uh, I've been exposed to, or I've been re-exposed to I actually wrote a report on this years and years ago, but I've been re-exposed to, uh, the work of Dr. Francine Shapiro. She, she discovered, uh, what, what is now known as EMDR therapy right. and, and the therapy works by having your eyes track a metronome from side to side as you 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 do your regular couch session and what she found was this accesses the subconscious and allows uh patients to regress through their their trauma much more quickly well she discovered it while she was on a walk um so I've started kind of connecting the dots and you were you you and I have talked about circle walking yep. quite a bit there's there's actually a method of circle walking that involves multiple poles that would allow you to use your eyes and also the palm yes. changes tracking your hands during the palm changes that would facilitate this same kind of therapeutic response. Yes. You want to take a minute to explain sure, that for sure, me man. real quick? Yeah, EMDR is really really fascinating and it is something that I looked into uh, when I first started learning Bagua and also when I got deeper into the Qigong set that I learned when I was about 12, the, the eight pieces of brocade, the Bada Jin, EMDR, working the Bagua circle and changing directions, holding your hand out at eye height and then changing directions and having to follow the changing directions of your hand while you're moving causes you to look left and right. So, the um, multiple pole practice in Bagua is called nine palace training. And yes, you start with one pole. Um, if you're in your basement, you know, walking around something, focusing on having something in the middle of your circle. Uh, sometimes I would, I would stand a broom up in a bucket. <laughs> kind of thing just to have something to focus on. <laughs> when you are walking the circle with Bagua, you're not going just one way. You're constantly changing directions, going left and right, changing uh, palm structures. When you're moving through the moving form, the palm form, the the martial form, you're constantly moving directions. You're constantly looking left and right. When you graduate from one pole to two poles, you are now not only looking left and right, but you're also changing and tracking two poles, two spaces in your awareness so it amplifies the work that your nervous system has to do and the actual engagement of the nervous system while you are walking around multiple poles now the practice of nine palace training to get up to nine palaces or nine poles is to develop the ability to track and to be aware and conscious with not just your eyes and your peripheral vision but your whole body sensitivity so that you know where you're going. You can track your hands, look, engage while you change directions because each time you go around one of the poles, you change direction. And there's a specific sequence that, treats, that teaches this and, so that you 
develop an instinctive capacity to spontaneously move around multiple opponents in a crowd or a mob. And this is one of the reasons why Bagua was a, a favorite of the Imperial Bodyguard in, in China. Is because you're, you're, you're training to deal with eight or more opponents at once. Now, to do this, you need to be able to track your hand. You need to be able to know where your body is. You need to be able to understand where your feet are at all times and have an instinct primary space of awareness that requires your nervous system to change. And this is what the pole practice does. You start with one, you walk around it, you change directions, you track with the eyes where the pole is in relation to your hands all the time. So that you develop this instinctive ability to watch, engage distance, and understand distance and where you are, and also contact. Because when you actually have the poles up in, in the ground, um, I used to have two, two of them in my backyard, and you walk with your hand lightly touching the pole to maintain contact. So not only are you looking and tracking the change, but you're also tracking with your eyes the contact of your pole, your, your opponent that you have, that you're mimicking with the pole, because that would be an arm. So you are sensitizing the nervous system and using what we're talking about, EMDR, as a way to change the nervous system and develop deeper and deeper capacity to change your nervous system using one or more poles in Bagua training. Yeah, and it also replicates uh, yes. REM sleep. Yes, uh, I guess is is another thing, which is which is the way when we're in REM sleep. I guess our body that that's when our body processes the most mm -hmm. stress. Yep. yep. Yes, exactly. So that's that's super interesting, and and you know it's it's fascinating. I mean, it's always fascinating for me anyway when these these guys from you know, back before science had kind of discovered mm, these things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, stumble on them and then put them into a practice to kind of build these these attributes yeah. or 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 work through these 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 processes. You know, without really knowing what they're doing, they come up with these incredibly functional ways to process yep. stress and to build yep. mobility and to do all this kind of stuff um, because movement is movement right the body hasn't changed in in thousands of years the body has always been the body um but you have also had personal experience recovering from uh trauma used in bagua both physical and emotional you want to kind of like oh, if you don't mind yeah. would you mind walking through the listeners like the traumas and how you've used bagua to recover in the different situations that you've sure, been through well, uh, the the three main major traumas that a person can undergo in terms of you know death in the family, uh, divorce and bankruptcy, I've all experienced, and in, including car accidents too, for that matter. So, uh, physical trauma. When when I've been injured physically, and and I've got some scar tissue on on my left side around my spleen that's that's decided to poke his head in, in and begin to release and dissolve. So I've got a lot of pain on my left side, but I can still circle walk. Mm. I can still do bagua. 
Um, the times I got injured sparring, doing full contact karate, I couldn't do my karate, but I could do my bagua. I could do my circle walking. And it's because with in that context, the relaxed posture, the relaxed space that you have to be in for proper skeletal structure alignment when you are circle walking supports the body to be relaxed and will naturally work through any physical tension. Um, yeah, the, the emotional aspects of the, the, the healing benefits, uh, deal, dealing with trauma, even, even healing um, lifelong uh, trauma stories the, the last few years doing my practice in terms of, you know, belief structures, deeply rooted belief structures of, of self-worth and, and denial that were really buried in my psyche have all come out because of my practice with Bagua and the meditative aspect of the circle walking. Um, yeah, the, the deaths in the family that were really traumatic for me were, were my grandparents because I was really, really close with all four of them. I grew up spending a lot of time with them, uh, lived uh, in and around them for most of my childhood and spent a lot of time with them in my teenage years and my 20s. I would regularly go on trips with my, my grandfather to go visit some of his political buddies and, and family in, uh, in Ontario. And yeah, you know, losing people that you're that close with that have been so supportive and loving is really, really, really hard. And uh, at the time, I was in a relationship where I didn't have space to really grieve. And I found that the space that I had when I was practicing my Bagua and circle walking facilitated my grieving process profoundly, where I could have that quiet, mm -hmm. calm space, that quiet space for myself, and just let the grief roll through me while I was circle walking. I mean, there'd be times when I'd, where I'd just have to stop and cry and, and let everything out because I had, you know, created enough space for myself where I could let it go. And that was hugely eye-opening in terms of the effects that I felt in my nervous system of the rush of emotion, grieving, and the way that my instead of tensing up and locking down and holding on to the grief, I was able to create a space for myself through circle walking that allowed me to just relax into it and to let the grief go. And that really changed my life. Uh, that was, you know, even though I was, I was still in this relationship, I got married and then got divorced uh, a few years later. The grieving process of the divorce space, the, you know, having your world shattered when you have put so much time into believing in something, believing in someone, it, you know, is profoundly traumatic when that just shatters and falls apart. And right. for me, again, it was an experience of inadvertently stepping into a much deeper space consciously with my 
circle walking practice and working through because all the tension in my body of being around this person for you know over a decade and all the tension in my mind of not letting myself feel certain things not letting myself feel the anger feeling the frustration uh, not, you know, having spent so many years walking on eggshells and not even realizing it. And then sort of, you know, you know, losing my shit because I realized, oh, right. I have not looked at this stuff because it's, it hasn't been safe. Mm-hmm. I haven't felt safe. And it's just like, wow, you know, here I am. I can, you know, <laughs> break coconuts with my bare hands, but I don't feel safe to let myself feel something. Wow. What the hell, you know? Mm. So... Right. With circle walking and with Bagua, the meditative aspect of circle walking is really profound. It's very physical. It's not a mental game because you have to stay focused on holding a posture and knowing what your entire body is doing all the time. You step into this other space of unified awareness of your body, of your mind, of your feelings your mental space, your emotional space, and feeling how your mind is trying to hijack you and keep you from actually digging through all of those, you know, not fun emotional spaces. And I found that the endorphin release and the way that Bagua engages the deep tissues in the body and moves and basically forces blood to move properly through the body, forces tension to dissolve as you practice your circle walking. And it's not a gimmick. There's nothing mystical about it. It is the simple act of engaging your entire body, your awareness, and being focused and disciplined. And, like, circle walking is is kind of like having the best deadlift session combined with a marathon lap swim in the pool. Like you're running on Ironman. And it's Mm. that kind of, you know, emotional release after having like a huge, awesome, perfect Zen like moment in the gym, but you're just using your own body. You're just circle walking. Well, I know the Russians did a bunch of research. Uh, I, I think the 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 kind of tchotchke name for it was like poisoning exercises, where you did like twisting lifts and different twisting walks yes. with kettlebells to 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 injury proof athletes, and they had a lot of success. Yeah, that's actually it. something that that I looked into an awful lot when I you know well, Pavel when when he uh, Pavel Sulian when he became big in the kettlebell world and um, uh, Cotter, I can't, for, I can't remember his first name. Steve, Steve, Steve Cotter. Yes. Steve Cotter. Uh, Steve Cotter is also big in Bagua. He loved Bagua. He's just teacups are beautiful. And he said, anyone who's doing internal arts like Bagua needs to get into kettlebells. I was like, what? So, yes, the Russians did an awful lot of uh, bulletproofing or, yeah, poisoning, as, as you will. And this is one of the things that the wrapping and the coiling, the twisting and the turning of Bagua does for the body is that it uses unorthodox and uncommon body postures to cause 
a learning space of the body stabilizing and being strong in these twists and turns and wrapping and coiling postures so that you can express power whole body power and use your body to hit from any angle possible any any weird contorted angle or body posture you can think of bagua the form will generally move you through it and the bagua circle walking postures are designed to get you ready for that Yeah, bulletproofing. That's right. That was another term. I I read Pavel's work. He had a, a DVD on that specific type of work, and I had all of mm, Cotter's yep. DVD training material too. I've studied that as well. Um, so it's this is just the the purpose of this, guys, is not. I mean, I think it's an incredible practice, and 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 I think. Kelly is an incredible trainer. So if you're, if you're interested in this sort of thing, for sure, reach out to him. But, but the purpose is to, is, is to understand that there, there are functional science trained things that back these types of practices. I know that in in the, in the era of MMA, they kind of get crapped on and everybody thinks that they're trash. Um, But you can look up, the emdr studies you can you can look up these russian studies on twisting lifts and bulletproofing and poisoning exercises and 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 you can look up uh also uh uh cal oh gosh what's his name cal cal deets cal deets of the Mm -hmm. university of minnesota has a whole bunch of exercises for the fascia in his athletes and he's found that fascia exercises he gets more bang for his buck doing these these exercises that he calls fascia exercises with his elite athletes than he does lifting so so you can this this stuff is not as woo woo as it sounds i know it gets a bunch of flack because of you know the the socks and sandals hippie blue light (laughs) crew but in reality right like this stuff works. I've started working it into my my practice just for conditioning yep. purposes. And I, I just had oh, my right. hip replaced and it's made a massive, massive difference in in my gait and in my ability to transfer right. stress. That's, that's, foot awesome, to foot. that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Yeah. So I would I would highly recommend looking into this. Even if you didn't want to get into the martial aspects, which like I really the short, like the short as well, power, the zero um, range power in Bagua, it, it blows my mind. Um, the structural power that you can generate at zero range is ridiculous, and that is one of the things that made me really fall in love with this. Is the way it all comes together. Well, right, you spend the whole practice. Yeah, you spend the yeah. whole practice coiled, right? So, so. There's a, there's an entire method of, of weight training called yes. pseudo isokinetics, yep. right? That, that sitting in these these isometrics or doing drops into isometrics and holding an isometric while you move other parts of your body. This is this yep. is all science. Literally, literally based, everything guys. that I see in, um, in CrossFit, I look at it and go, oh, you just add this, or you just take away that movement, and it's like this shape from my bagua. Yep. Right, right. Um, 
so so anyway, nope. I don't want to get off too far off on a tangent with this, but I, you know, I, I, uh, I'm a science guy and I, I guess, so I get a lot of pushback when I talk about these kind of more esoteric practices from my science buddies. Um, I was a medical laboratory scientist in the Navy for, for a few, oh, yeah. few years, almost a decade. Um, and, uh, I got injured early in my career, which I've talked about on other podcasts. I'm not going to get into it here, but, but this, this stuff is based in physiology. Like you, you can look up There's studies on it. Right. Um, and I, I, I'm more kind of having these podcasts to bring attention to people who have helped me with their work and also to highlight the help that it's given and be like hey look people just in case you you think the only way to get the help you need is to go yeah. run a mile or whatever you you can mark out a circle in your living room and it doesn't matter if there's exactly. 40 feet exactly. of snow outside you can walk a circle and circle, right? circle like, walking is always it's always new every single time cuz every day is different and the, the depth of the practice as a, just even a meditation practice for mental health, you know, I've still, like, it's one of those, you know, you polish the mirror until the mirror is gone and then you keep polishing. Right on, right on. Yeah. So, so let's, let's dig into that a little bit. The, the, the mental benefits of the kind of meditative walking benefits, if you will. Uh, and, yep. and again, science, you can look history behind EMDR, the, the doctor who discovered it, discovered it on a walk, right? So there's, there's medical benefits to mindful walking for, for stress processing. Okay. So let's, can, oh, would sure. you mind talking about that a little bit? Cause you put well, it the, very the well. The most simple way to convey how effective even just walking in a straight line with the bagua stepping with the mud stepping is, is that when you are engaging your feet, when your awareness is brought down through your body into your legs, to your feet in the connection with the earth, you are consciously bringing your intention and your awareness into your body, into your physical present moment and away from the monkey mind chatter in your head. And that alone changed my life and my practice learning Bagua. When you are working at circle walking and engaging your focus to make sure that you are stepping properly around the circle. This is why I say go get a hula hoop. Put one foot inside, one foot outside. Walk around the hula hoop without knocking it around without moving it with your feet and when you can do that without looking at your feet you've you've started to learn the depth of the practice now when you are circle walking and mud stepping um i'm gonna go through the physiology of this to start you are engaging the tendons and all of the fascia in your feet where that effect your nervous system connection to your feet. You are moving blood into your feet around the nerve bundles in your feet. You are engaging the Achilles tendon in your ankle, which changes the blood flow in your entire body. Walking with 
your knees slightly bent engages your legs as fluid pumps. So every part of your body that requires blood, lymphatic fluid, or secretions from your glands is receiving a recalibration because your joints are open, your fascia and tendons are engaged, your muscles are engaged even though you're not using any quote-unquote resistance. And then you have your pelvis, and your pelvis tucked in while you walk, not like overly tucked in so that you're kind of like doing like a mini crunch while you walk, but just gently tucked in so that you can feel it stacked on your femurs, so that you can feel it stacked on your leg bones, opens up and gently, subtly stretches everything along your spine. Having the pelvis slightly tucked in allows fluid to rise into the pelvis, up into the organs, and for the fluid exchange between your upper and lower parts of your body to become refined and more efficient. This alone, just sitting and settling into this type of posture with your pelvis tucked in and your knee just slightly bent, will change your nervous system. Physiologically, being able to shift fluid in your body this way will change the way your nervous system and your brain functions because it will have more efficient access to blood, lymphatic fluid, and all of the minerals and nutrients that your body and your brain and your nervous system actually need to function in a healthy, balanced way. And so, so again, science people, yep. Yep. I'm going to jump in at different points yep. and just inter interject some science. So you, you can look this up. If you look up uh, Dr. Yang Wing Ming, he's done studies with medical institutes on everything that Kelly is talking about and how it works physiologically, yep. hormonally, all that kind of stuff. You, you, he's got some great resources if you're, if you're interested in seeing the actual medical uh, phenomenon that back yeah, Dr. what Yang Kelly Ming is talking stuff about. Is some of the first uh, information on this, some of the first books I ever read on, on Qigong and, and the Chinese martial arts were, were all his. At one point, I, I had everything that he'd ever written. And then I was like, well, I, I lent some books out and you know how that goes. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Yeah, you mean you never. Yeah, it's like and now you like, have hey, no books. Oh wait, okay, I remember. Yeah, wow, that was like what ten years ago. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> and so now, now, now you're you're physiologically processing this stress. How does the act of mindful walking help you emotionally process stress as well? The, I, you know, I I cannot rave about this enough. I, I this, there's just so much benefit to getting out of the head to focusing on the feet just for the listeners he kelly mentioned the monkey mind a minute a minute ago that's that's a very chinese thing um getting out of your monkey mind before we move forward with like process and stress yep. because this yep. they're, they're tied together right like the the monkey mind and 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 the inability to process stress because you're in your monkey mind getting out of your monkey mind to process yeah, stress yeah um, can we start there so when i say monkey mind i mean the fear-based programmed egoic mind and the monkey mind yes it's it's a very eastern term it's a very buddhist term uh, i was as, uh, very much a zen buddhist for 
I don't know, 20 some years. And I, I used to sit for three hours a day and meditate for three hours a day and do all my practices and stuff like that. And then I discovered circle walking. <laughs> and then discovered how much I did not understand about being physically present and how much I had to learn. And um, I tried to continue my sitting practice when I was learning Bagua, but I found that Bagua was far more powerful a practice, far deeper and far more effective at everything, everything when it comes to mindfulness, when it comes to actually being physically present in the present moment. Um, with circle walking, even just Bagua stepping, even just the mud stepping, uh, you can develop a practice that pulls your attention away from all of the scattered thoughts, the fear-based thoughts, the anxiety-ridden dialogue in your head when you focus on your feet. And this is, this is a subtle thing. This is a, a, the, the actual reality is that you... You're, instead of your attention being on all your thoughts, all your lists, your anxiety, you develop this secondary path at first that is about focusing on your feet and 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 feeling the earth beneath you. And what that does is that it draws your habitual internal dialogue patterns away from the triggers of anxiety and fear and judgment and anger into this other space of focusing on your physical body and literally pulling all of that dialogue away from your brain, away from your mind, away from that agitation, that space of agitation and anxiety and fear in the head down into your body and you shift gears. And this is something that I talk about a lot in my classes uh, my online classes that I have, if anyone's interested, I, this is what I teach in my classes, is focusing on the body, learning how to discern when your programming, when your fear-based ego mind programming is hijacking you to focus on your fear or something that is triggering you versus actually stepping back into observation and feeling your body and feeling your feet and feeling your breath in your body and going inward and connecting with your body instead of being stuck and wrapped up in your thoughts. Nice. And and so this this very simple practice of just walking it guys you'll you'll see if you watch a video it yep. circle walking is exactly what it sounds like. You're walking in a circle, right? Like it's nope. not it's not anything complicated or woo woo or strange. From, from my, if I can if I can add from my experience, um, one of the things but, that the circle walking does is it confuses the ego mind. Because you're doing something and the ego mind loves doing stuff, loves keeping you moving. But then you're walking in a circle and you're you're repeating the same path over and over and over again. So what happens is the ego mind realizes, oh, we're not actually doing anything. We're doing something boring. Whoa, why are we doing this? This is boring. Blah, 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 blah. But then you keep circle walking. And then your ego mind will start to fight you and resist. And then you keep circle walking. And then your ego mind goes, oh, oh, we're, we're not, we're, we're not, we're not going to change anything, are we? Okay, fine. I'll just like sit here and wait until we do. Blah, blah, blah. And it'll throw a hissy fit. 
and this is what happened to me. And then I kept circle walking and then my body got more and more used to it. And as my body got more and more used to it, my mind actually relaxed more. Fears started to disappear. I became much more conscious of my body and much more conscious of this connection. And it became like an immediate switch. As soon as I would get into the initial start and sink into my feet, my bones, tuck my pelvis in, my brain would literally like shut off and go quiet. It took a while, but that's what happened. And that's where it is still. As a, as a Zen guy, you'll, you'll, you'll get this. There's a Zen cone that says through, through thousands of repetitions, yep. one's true self yeah. appears. And I, and I think, you know, like it has to be a simple practice. I mean, you, you can't do thousands of repetition of something nope. ultra complex. Uh, I, I mean, I guess unless it becomes, you know, muscle memory, like if you get so good at playing the piano, maybe it, yep. you're, you're doing it without thinking. Sure. But but for on a, in a in a beginner level, something like this, some simple practice allows you to kind of open and and discover your that true self what they're talking about is all your emotional crap that's on the inside right and you can you can look at it very clearly and very quickly using a practice like this really really fast because the repetition the repetition alone will cause your ego mind and all your crap to come to the surface because your ego does not like to be still does not like the repetition, does not like to do something that causes you to actually be focused on your physical moment. This is why the the sixth patriarch of Zen, Wei Neng, is um, uh, a hero of mine because he was um, a rice cook in the abbot, in in the Zen Buddhist abbot, uh, abbey, um, where he achieved enlightenment and there was this contest for or the quote-unquote where he was he realized himself I, I i don't really like using the word enlightenment because it's been yeah it's overused and it sort of like says oh yeah there's only like one goal right. and it's like right. when you get there like everything stops it's like yeah no like cooking rice it never stops and that you know he was illiterate he could <laughs> not read or write and he was a simple cook in the kitchen stirring rice for hours and hours and hours a day and the abbot put up a poem on the wall and said whoever solves this will inherit my 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 bowl and my robes and so like all of the you know the 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 students in in the abbey sort of put up their you know replies and stuff like that and one you know uh wen eng looked at it and asked asked one of the uh his fellow uh monks to you know translate it for like read it for him he's like oh he's like huh and he's like, can you put up a reply for me? And, and so he did. And his reply was basically, you know, there is no mirror, there is no bowl, there are no robes. Zen is the way, right? And the abbot was like, and he knew exactly who, who it was that had written it. So, you know, here's this guy who had spent years and years just stirring rice day in, day out. The weight of repetition will wear down any aspect of fear and ego when you discipline yourself to the practice. Nice. That's super cool. Um, I, I think that's a good place to wrap just because I don't want, I don't want to take away from that point. 
if you have a, a website you'd like to push or or any kind of information you'd like the listeners to know about you, okay. you can put um, it out now. Well, I, my, I am working on finishing up a website that should be up really soon. I have to redo it. And uh, I am on Facebook, Legendary Living Arts. And I am on Instagram, K Whalen Ends. That's K W H E L A N E N N S. Come and find me. I'd be happy to talk. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming out to the podcast and just contributing this, this great material for everybody to listen to. Uh, all you science folks, hopefully you listen to the end and you put aside your biases because this is science-based as well as spiritual yep. and everything else, yep. which is why we're highlighting it here.